Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much that, that Lord, you have a, a desire for our lives, an intention of your heart. Father, we thank you for every child that is conceived. We thank you for every child that is born. And Father, in some cases, the child never makes it out of the womb. And Lord, we pray for those children. We thank you that you have received them unto yourself and that there is that grace, that measure of grace in that. Father, help us as children of light to understand exactly how you desire us to feel about this whole area. Lord, we pray that we can be a light and we can be salt in this world and that we can be one who extends mercy and grace in the midst of a darkness that has slowly been consuming our, our world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's turn to, in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read first out of Matthew 5, but if you will turn to Ephesians 5 and follow along when we get there. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's all rise for the reading of God's word, shall we? Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching, and he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This goes right along with the uh, children's message given by Uncle Benny. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Skip down to verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret." But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, this morning, the Lord awakened me at 4 a.m., now, I usually get up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but I got up an hour early. And so when I saw what the, uh, my clock said, actually my cell phone said, I thought, I should try to go back to sleep for an hour. And have you ever had that experience when you get up a little bit earlier than you're supposed to and you try to fall back asleep? You sort of are in a half awake and a half dream state, and you actually have a dream. But in the dream, you almost feel like you're awake. Well, that's what happened for about 13 minutes. And in the dream came, uh, God caused me to remember something that happened over the course of my ministry, actually very early in my ministry. I dreamt about a situation that occurred, I think in about the third or fourth year of my, of my season at Evergreen Baptist Church. A young couple, 
uh, came in for counsel. They were newlyweds, and I had done their wedding. And the bride had these great dreams and aspirations about what she was going to do in the immediate future, educationally. And the husband was just getting started at a new workplace and, and was making um, sort of a minimal amount as he was at the entry-level position. And then they discovered that they were pregnant, much to their surprise and chagrin at the time. And so they came to ask me whether it would be okay to have an abortion. They were fairly new in the faith, and they just didn't understand how scriptures would apply to whether or not abortions were okay, since abortions were becoming very common in that day and age, after 1973 in particular. So this was right after that. And uh, to their credit, they wanted to know what the Lord's will was. I mean, they really loved the Lord, they loved each other, they loved life, and, and they just wanted to come make sure that they were within the scope of God's will because they weren't sure exactly what was right in the sight of God, because the world was making so much noise in their lives. Well, I shared with them that abortion was a sin, still is a sin. And if they wanted to do the will of God, they would have their little baby, even if it meant, meant the dashing of current aspirations and dreams, because it's much more important to do what God wants than to try to fulfill your own dreams. Well, then for years thereafter, I watched their little child grow up in our church. I would see their little one running around with other little children, and I felt the pleasure of God. I saw this child attend church school and then vacation Bible school. I dedicated this child, baptized this child, and saw this little one grow in stature and age. I was hoping to do this child's wedding one day, but the family relocated and I lost touch with them until I had my dream this morning. You know, people have been asking me as I approach retirement, what do you consider to be your greatest memories as senior pastor of Evergreen? And people actually ask me that in various forms. And what do you remember? And what really was a great time in your life? And there's just so many things. This morning, however, the Lord brought to my remem remembrance one of them. I think this memory ranks among one of my greatest moments in pastoral ministry and history. God, in his wisdom, allowed me to be a part of saving the life of this child. I can think of no better thing to do as a pastor than to serve those who are part of the congregation to making decisions that find the favor of God, and have the pleasure of God. So this, and this morning, the message, and I think this is the reason why it was probably on my mind and heart, I want to be preaching a message that is very, very pro-life. And I asked the Lord, in my final six or seven messages, actually I have six messages left, including this one, um, what was I to preach? And actually, at the, last year, the Lord laid on my heart that I was supposed to preach a message uh, that would reaffirm our position on babies in the womb. And I would like the young people, high schoolers, junior hires, collegians, to especially listen to this message and to make this a part of, of, of your culture of life, um, which I think is so very important in the sight of God. So this morning I'm going to share about exposing the darkness of abortion and choosing and developing a culture of life. 
not only here in our church, but in our own personal walk. Because we as Christians are called to walk in the light and not in the darkness. What does it mean to walk in the light? Let's look at walking in the light. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. This is what Paul wrote. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul's saying very distinctly here. Walk or live your life the way you're supposed to now that you've been called by Jesus Christ to be one of his children. Now, this is in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then in chapter 4 and 5, and actually chapter 6, he describes what a worthy walk is supposed to look like. And he uses the word walk. So you can just peruse that on your own. One of the descriptions, however, is found in Ephesians 5.8. So look at verse 8 of chapter 5. He says, or you were formerly darkness. That's where we came from. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, we are called to walk in the light. The word walk simply means living out your daily life. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives in the light and not in the darkness. There's three truths about walking in the light. I'm just going to mention these. Three truths about walking in the light. Truth number one, we must first receive the light. Look at Ephesians 5.8. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. A transformation has taken place. You move from darkness into the light, and you do so by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and dwelling in his word. From darkness to light by receiving Christ and his word. Secondly, we must walk in the light. End of chapter 5, verse 8. Walk as children of the light. That means if we're in the light and we move from the darkness, there's a way we're supposed to behave. There's a way we're supposed to think. There's a way we're supposed to act as though we are in the light, which we truly are. And then thirdly, we must shine the light. Verse 11 of chapter 5. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So what are you supposed to do with the light? We're supposed to live it out, but the fact that we live it out means that we also expose the darkness. So we must first receive it, then we walk it, and then we shine it. And one of the things I think God has called us to do is to expose the darkness of abortion. Walking in the light means we shine the light on things that are dark. And if abortion is darkness, then one of the things we should do is shine light upon that particular darkness. And that's one of the things we've been called to do. John Piper, retired pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, says this, Walking in the light means not doing works of darkness. And that's pretty obvious, right? And it means exposing the works of darkness that others do. Christians who walk in the light should be involved in exposing the dark and fruitless work of abortion. It is, dark, it is a dark and barren work, and we are called to expose it. So one way or another, speaking the truth in love, sometimes very gently, we're supposed to expose darkness, this darkness called abortion. But here's the challenge of being pro-life in the world today. The challenge of being pro-life is that the darkness is so great. And that's not just in this area. In a lot of different areas, the darkness is so great that it begins to consume the light. All right, let's take a look at the darkness. The darkness that is great. 
Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. In your devices or in your Bible. Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 23. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, based on the whole counsel of Scripture, a bad eye, by definition, is an eye that looks at what is good and sees bad. That's great darkness. When you see something that's really good in the sight of God and you call it darkness, that's when the darkness has become really, really great and very, very dark. You ever been in a room that's just totally dark? A lot of times we go in a room and say, oh, it's dark, but there's a little bit of light so you can kind of see. Ever been in a room that's just pitch black, just totally dark, devoid of all, you lose orientation. You don't know which way is up, down, or other. If you're lying down, you don't know which way's up. Right? Now, the reference point of this particular verse is really a parable. It's a parable about the master who hires people to work in his vineyard. Remember that particular parable? He hires people at the front of the day, at the beginning of the day, hires people in the middle of the day, hires people at the end of the day. And when it comes to pay time, what does he do? He gives the same wage to all three or all four. The wage that the early worker got is exactly the same as the late worker got. So what does the early worker do? He grumbles. He grumbles. And he says, wait, wait, wait a minute. We worked all day. We worked a 12-hour shift. We got paid this amount, and you paid the guy that came for the last hour, and you paid him the same amount. Now, what's he supposed to see there? He's supposed to see the goodness of the master and his generosity and in his humility to pay that worker the same wage. But what does he see? He sees that act of goodness as bad. And what Jesus says to this guy is, you've got a bad eye. That's how you can interpret that phrase that he uses about this man. So a bad eye is when you see something that is good and you call it bad. And you see something that is bad and you call it good. That, beloved, is when the darkness is really, really great. When our eye goes bad. And, and so when the light you think you see is really darkness. And that's when the darkness is really great. Turn to Isaiah 5. Everybody turn to this particular verse. This sort of encapsulates it. And this is in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5, look at verse 20. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So what's Isaiah saying? Oh, woe to you. When you call something that is evil, good. And likewise, when you call something good, evil. And that is when the darkness is great. And that is what has happened in our society today. And that is what is happening in the church today. Where we adopt what the world says and call it good. And those who try to sustain what God says, we call them evil. 
then the darkness is great. People who call monogamous homosexual relationship as good, and then they consider those who are against it as evil. There are Christian pastors in entire denominations ordaining gay clergy and performing gay marriages, claiming sinful behavior as being good, and those who are opposed to it as being bad or evil, bigoted, homophobic. The darkness in that case is very great. And that's when the darkness begins to penetrate the church and begins to absorb the light of the church, leaving it in darkness. And woe to the church that does that. In America, abortions are now considered morally acceptable. And those who are pro-life are somehow considered villains. Bad is good, and good is bad. Hence, the darkness is great. How dark is, is, how dark is our society today? Here's some abortion statistics reported by the abortioncounters.com along with the Guttmacher Institution as of 7.08 a.m. this past Wednesday. In the United States, as of that day, of that morning, there were 761 abortions done. In the United States, since Roe versus Wade in 1973, there have been over 61 million abortions. By Planned Parenthood since 1970, there have been over 8 million abortions performed. By Planned Parenthood this year, 69,000 abortions to date. In the United States this year, 187,000 plus abortions have been performed. I need to share this in first service, but I'll share it this service. I'm going to go a little bit over this service today. All right. I was reading a 1951 pamphlet. So remember the date, 1951. I was four years old. The pamphlet was published entitled The Gift of Life, containing some traditional advice about human sexuality and the sanctity of life. The first page states, the gift of life is shown to us with the birth of each new baby. Then on pages 21 to 22, the authors inform readers, presumably the average American teenagers, because that was a population this was directed toward. If one of the new male sperm meets the, and unites with the eggs, an egg cell, new life begins. Cell to cell come together, new life begins is what this pamphlet says. The cover has a picture of a happy family a mom and a dad and three children apparently leaving a church building. You can tell by the steeple. It's pretty standard stuff for the 1950s era. And then you read the publisher's information. It, re it read, distributed by Planned Parenthood of America. And at that juncture in our history in the 1950s, good was still good and bad was still bad. Today, Planned Parenthood does more abortions than any other organization. All of a sudden, good has become bad, and bad has become good. My wife and I grew up in an era that was really different, extremely different, and the values of America has changed dramatically in the years we've been alive. Bad has become good, and good has become bad. How great is the darkness? When is killing murder? Now, this is, a law, this is a wide topic. I want to address one facet of it. 
The Bible says you shall not murder. That's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's part of the, of the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew word for kill is rahaz, and it's used 43 times in the Old Testament. It is always used to mean a violent personal killing that is considered a murder. It's the only time that word is used. Now, it's used in a whole variety of, of, of it's used in different fashions, but I'm going to just concentrate on one area. Again, just one. The Bible is very definitive about the killing of innocent blood. There is to be no shedding of innocent blood, no killing of innocent blood. Psalm 106, 38 says, And shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with the blood. This is when Israelites were beginning to sacrifice their children to the god of Molech, uh, an Ammonite god. And they did it for prosperity's sake. Right? And the prophet or the psalmist is saying, Never should innocent blood be handed over and killed in the presence of an idol. Abortions today are our society's form of offering children to an idol. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Innocent blood is a reference to children. Proverbs 6.16 and 17 says, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Don't neglect the first two, but note the, the third one. Innocent, the shedding or killing of innocent blood. So we know one thing for sure. The killing of children, of, inf of, of infants, of babies, is an abomination to the Lord. It is considered murder in the sight of God. All right, so when does life begin? Uh, we need to answer that question. All right, I'm gonna share with you four things to remember. First one, God forms people, not just flesh. God forms people, not just flesh. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. This is David writing. God formed David while David was still in the womb. God just didn't form flesh. He formed a person, and he named the person David. David, the Bible refers to David as a person while he was still in his mother's womb, not tissue or not cells. Second thing to remember, it's a baby, not just a fetus. It's a baby, not just a fetus. In Luke 1, 41 to 44, the Bible says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Now, the word baby there in these verses is brephos, and it's not a specialized word for an unborn baby. It's a generic term for children, for infants, and for babies. We use the term today, or at least abortionists do, of fetus and embryo. They are the biological words for developmental stages while the baby is in the womb. But it's been adopted and it's been hijacked to describe tissue in the womb as opposed to a person in the womb. It is a baby that is being aborted, not tissue, 
In Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says, So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. We read that every Christmas. The word is brephos there. refers to Jesus in the cradle. The same as David in the womb. The same as John the Baptist in Elizabeth's room. It's a baby. Thirdly, the unborn feels like a person feels. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, same verse, the baby leaped in her womb. At the end it says, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. The baby had joy. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. Tissue does not have feelings and emotions. Only people do. And then fourthly, an unborn is treated like a person in the scriptures. The unborn is treated like a person. Luke 1, 14 to 15, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, meaning the birth of Jesus. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Jesus was fully human. And it says the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon him in the womb. The Holy Spirit does not just come upon tissue. The Holy Spirit doesn't infill just tissue. The Holy Spirit infills a person. And so the baby in the womb, according to scripture, is a person. So life begins at conception. It is a baby in the womb. Let me once again quote John Piper. Ultrasound technology has given a stunning window on the womb that shows the unborn at eight weeks sucking his thumb, recoiling from pricking, responding to sound. All the organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. The liver is making blood cells. The kidneys are cleaning fluids. And there is a fingerprint. This is at eight weeks. And most women do not even know they're pregnant at eight weeks or they're not sure. And having said this, I think we need to be sure we embrace God's loving grace in the midst of what was just shared. There are probably some in our sanctuary this morning who have had first-hand experience with an abortion. You are a woman, and you have had an abortion. You are a man, and you encouraged or stood by while your significant other had an abortion. You are a parent, and your child was going through an incredible hardship in their life with an unplanned pregnancy and you help finance an abortion. Somehow, someway, there are those in our church sanctuary this morning that have experienced an abortion in some way, firsthand. I would like to speak to you for just a moment. Do you understand how much God loves you? He wants to love you in the midst of your pain and guilt and possible shame. He wants to declare you forgiven and set free from the bondage of said guilt and shame. He wants you to live fully as a forgiven child of his, experiencing the width and the depth and the height of his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. If you still have pain and guilt and shame of an abortion, you can be set free from it and live fully as a child of the king. 
Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. And I've spoken with women who have gone through the horrendous experience of an abortion. And they do feel thereafter that they live under oppression. And Jesus wants to set you free from the oppression that you feel. Jesus also said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He wants to set you free. What is the truth? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess what we have done and ask God for forgiveness, the truth of Scripture says God will cleanse us and he will restore us. And that's exactly what is available to you if you've had the experience of abortion in your life. Perhaps the Lord has already set you free. Praise the Lord. And you know what it means to live in his love and his grace. But perhaps not. Let's ask the Lord to set you free today. Let's all pray. Father God, I thank you for this moment in time. And Lord, if there is anyone present in this room who has experienced firsthand just the heartbreak and the hardship of abortion, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you will visit them at this very moment. If you have, have had an abortion or assisted in some way, shape, or form an abortion, you just confess it to the Lord silently in your heart. Would you ask God for forgiveness? And maybe you have before this time know that the Lord is listening and he's going to hear this. Now ask him to cleanse you with the blood of Jesus and to restore you so that you once again understand and feel that you are a full child of the King. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you've heard these prayers. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you have allowed the person who prayed this prayer to sense your great love and forgiveness for them. That your mercy, which is new every morning, has come upon them. I pray, Lord, that you'll help them to live a life that is free from condemnation and oppression, but a life that is free to rejoice and to worship and to love as Jesus intends us to live. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. So what are we to do? How can we walk as children of light? One of the things we've done at Evergreen SGV is try to support organizations that do exactly that. And so we've been supporting Options, a women's care center. And I thought of one way to close the sermon out is just to hear from the director, the CEO of Options, and just share some of the things that they do and how we participated. And so I'm, I'm going to please ask uh, Shannon Inoue to please come forward. Let's welcome Shannon. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Uh, yeah, so I'm Shannon, and um, this is a picture of my family, Garrett, in a way, who's on staff here at Evergreen, and our daughter, Wonder, who um, you probably see me chasing around most Sundays. 
Um, but I'm the CEO of Options, the Women's Care Center. And some of you may be familiar with Options or some of you have maybe never heard of it before. So I thought a good place to start would be to just share a little bit about what it is we do. Options exist to eliminate the need for abortion by providing support services to women with unplanned pregnancies through help, hope, and healing. We provide help through free pregnancy tests and education on all choices available, parenting, adoption, and abortion. Empowering women with all the information they need to make an informed choice, a choice they can live with. We believe that by simply sharing truth, the truth will set them free. We provide hope by sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. We do all we can to support these women physically and emotionally, but we know what they really need is Jesus. And finally, we provide healing for those who have experienced abortion in their past through offering the invitation from God to be forgiven and set free. We know that 70% of women who have had abortions identify as Christian. This is something that isn't just outside of the church. It's happening within the body of Christ. And if any one of you here today have an abortion in your past, I just want to affirm what Pastor Corey said, and that God wants you to know that he loves you, and he will be merciful to your iniquities, and he will remember your sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12. Options is here to help you walk through healing with the Lord. One of my favorite parts about working at Options is getting to share the powerful stories of what this help, hope, and healing looks like. So I'd like to share a really good one with you from just two weeks ago. We got to do a home visit with a woman who came to Options back in May with an unplanned pregnancy. She wanted an abortion because she and her husband were overwhelmed financially and did not expect to be pregnant again at 39 years old. After explaining all her options, she stated that everything inside of her cried out to not have an abortion. And we find this to be the case for so many women that we serve. They say they need an abortion, but they don't actually want one. After receiving support and affirmation that if she didn't want an abortion, she didn't have to have one. She had a change of heart and she chose life for her baby. Baby Ray was born in January of this year. As the staff arrived for the home visit with gifts to welcome baby Ray, we had the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ with this beautiful mama and what it means to have a real relationship with the real God, her creator. She prayed to invite Jesus into her heart as Lord and Savior that day. There were lots of tears as she said she felt light and good inside of her. Praise God, for he continued to pursue her, knowing that she would surrender her life to him. Options is so blessed by our church. I personally am so blessed by our church. Evergreen has overwhelmed Options with support and solidarity, saying, we're with you. When you first heard of Options and the vision to provide free ultrasounds, you gave a beyond generous gift that will enable Options to purchase a state-of-the-art ultrasound once we are able to apply for and receive our medical license. On top of that, the church is one of our most faithful and generous supporters year after year. 
God has used Evergreen to really be a backbone in providing the help, hope, and healing at Options. Our church also shows up in volunteering, praying, and giving, not just corporately, but individually as well. The hearts of those in our church who serve in the center regularly are so inspiring to the staff and board. Evergreen Options volunteers have shown up in perfect timing in certain roles that needed to be filled. And I believe it is a testament to the fact that our body truly seeks God and responds to His call. My encouragement to everyone here today is that whether you are available to serve God at Options with your talents and gifts or not, I believe we are all called to create a culture of life around us. Our God is a God of life. Resurrection life lives within us. That's crazy, and it's powerful. That means that you, you who have invited Jesus into your heart and received the Holy Spirit in doing so, carry life with you everywhere you go. Proverbs 12:28. in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. By faith you are made righteous, so wherever you are is life. And wherever you are, there is no death. You simply being present when someone is considering abortion is powerful. I know this for a fact because at Options, we sit in front of life and death decisions and we see God move miraculously. So what does this look like? I'd like to share with you three ways that you, began, you can begin to create a culture of life. The first is simple. Be available to be used. Educate yourself on what God says about life. I believe the more you know, God will begin to bring people to you. I've seen multiple lives saved by high schoolers whose parents served at Options. One in particular was a teenager whose mom was involved. The family began to embody a culture of life, talking about unplanned pregnancy, praying for life, and when this teen found out about a friend who was pregnant and planning to get an abortion, he spoke life to her, and that friend decided to have her baby. If you give God the opportunity to equip you, he will give you the opportunity to speak life. The second way you can begin to walk in a culture of life is by coming on a tour of options. Through our tour, you will experience an unplanned pregnancy. You will hear what the women we serve here see what they see. It will give you greater understanding of how women in this situation are feeling and how to have grace. The third way actually relates to that very grace the Lord will begin growing in you for this specific group of people. We actually have a brand new ministry here at Evergreen called Embrace Grace. It is for single pregnant women. It's a 10-week curriculum providing emotional, practical, and spiritual support to these women and their families. The primary goal of Embrace Grace is that the church would be a safe, non-judging place for these women to run to when they find out that they are pregnant, instead of the last place they would think of to go. Maybe you know someone who is single and pregnant, or you will know someone in the future. You can invite them to Embrace Grace, where they will be supported, loved on, shown their identity in Christ, and learn to see themselves as God sees them, as beloved daughters. We want to create a culture at Evergreen that celebrates pregnancy, regardless of the situation, because God is the giver of life. 
Don't you think he loves these babies that he has known and formed perfect in his sight and in his image? There is purpose to the life he has given, even if the baby comes before marriage. Let's learn how to have God's heart for unplanned pregnancies and embrace women in this situation with grace and love. Maybe you're in high school, college, or at work, and you don't know the person on campus or in the office who is single and pregnant, but you can be the voice that speaks life to her instead of a voice that is talking about her situation, and you can welcome her into the folds of our church. There is power in becoming a people that embody a culture of life, and we all have a part to play. I would love to walk along with you in this journey to discover what yours is. A great first step for you to take towards growing a heart for life would be to come to Rise Up this Saturday on March 23rd. Rise Up is Option's annual fundraising fundraising event. You will get to hear how God is moving to build a community that values and protects human life. This is the vision of Options, and it's also my family's personal vision too. We want to be all about life. You will get to hear from Tiffany, a client of Options, who found out she was pregnant when she was already five months along. And all she could think in the shock of it was, I don't want him. The keynote speaker for the event is actually the president and co-founder of Embrace Grace. It will be such an amazing opportunity to hear the heart behind the ministry that our very own church is taking part in. There will be a table outside, and I would love to talk with you more about Rise Up, coming on a tour, and seeing how you can equip yourself to bring a culture of life wherever you go. One final encouragement, pray. Pray daily for life in the womb, that the mothers and fathers of these children would have dreams and visions of their babies and who their babies will become. God will hear your prayers, and he will answer them. I know because I've witnessed this very specific prayer answered many times. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. You know, we're just so blessed at our church that we have the opportunity to, to be salt and life uh, to others through a ministry like Options. Uh, you know, a lot of times people wonder, well, what can we do? Well, Shannon just shared some things we can do. Remember in the scriptures, whenever Jesus uh, had compassion and maybe brought a healing, had compassion and fed people, the first thing he did was he, he looked and saw something. So in order to have compassion that God wants us to have, sometimes we have to look and see what it is that God wants us to have compassion over. And so, um, so attending Rise Up, uh, taking a tour at Options would be a way in which you can see, and maybe God will develop a certain kind of compassion in your heart for this particular ministry. Um, this, on March the 29th, there's going to be a movie. It's called Unplanned. Unplanned. And it's a movie about this topic. Part of the staff saw the movie this past Wednesday. <coughs> it's an R-rated movie. It's R-rated because abortions, especially later-term abortions, are absolutely brutal. And so we got an R rating, all right? But uh, Auntie Rainey and I are going to go see the movie on the 29th. It's going to be playing at the Renaissance Theater in Alhambra, the 29th. I think it's going to be that weekend. And we're encouraging people to go see it, all right? Uh, we're recommending high school and above. 
And I think it's a movie that high schoolers can see. Uh, but uh, pray about it. Make a decision. Maybe you want, parents may want to review the movie first. But it's a, real, it's a true story. And it does show you some of the, the lies in which are told uh, in order to encourage women to have abortions. So, um, again, it's a way to, to look at something, to see something, and maybe God will develop compassion in your heart to do something even more specifically than what has been suggested this morning. But I thank you for listening, for being here this Sunday morning. To uh, It's a difficult topic. It's a very difficult topic in which to share and which to hear. But I think it hopefully has resonated in your heart, especially to those who have experienced the pain of abortion, that the Lord has brought you a measure of healing on this day. Let's pray. Now, there's prayer ministry to my left, your right. You can go there for prayer about anything. And they would love to pray with you and for you. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we have the privilege of being able to worship you. And Lord, sometimes the scriptures speak of things that are really difficult for us. But Lord, the darkness is indeed very great in our society. And sometimes it's just hard to understand what is light, what is salt, what is truth, and what is false. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you for blessing us with your presence this morning. We pray, Lord, that we can be pleasing in your sight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.